Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Meredith. Hello. Hello. How are things in Wisconsin? Uh, you know, uh, I mean, they're concerning. Things are worrisome in terms of the whole, like, are we headed straight to fascism? Uh, but I'll just answer yes. Yeah. 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 So, but managing. That's good. Um, we're all just trying to manage day to day life in a under a fascist regime. And that's really all we can do. And that's why we talk about pop culture. So we don't talk about (laughs) fascism. Pretty much. (laughs) So I I guess I'll start out by saying that (laughs) I went to the premiere of Goodnight Mommy. They remade Goodnight Mommy, everyone. Amazon remade it. Uh, Very kindly invited me to the premiere brought charles we had a great time um i'll just say like because i i don't want to do a big review because obviously meredith you haven't been able to see it so it's like i don't want to just talk at you but i'll just it's say okay. i mean i did see the original so yeah, i'm so- skeptical <laughs> about the fact that they're remaking it <laughs> exactly and i was too and I was sort of like, why? And then I saw Naomi Watts is in it. And I was like, great, love her. But also, why? Why now? Why this film? And I truthfully never got answers to any of that. Um, <laughs> but I, I would just encourage everyone to really go watch the original. It's great. Um, I was telling, I think I vaguely told you this, Meredith, but they really Americanized it. And by that, I mean, they really de-heightened like some of the highlights from the original and then simultaneously overexplained the plot, <laughs> which is like a very American approach to like, let's erase all of the interesting aspects and then pretend like our audience are a bunch of fucking idiots who can't put together the plot. Oh, that's so disappointing because the fact that they were unsympathetic, like the children were unsympathetic and creepy, but the mom was also unsympathetic and creepy. Yes. Was a huge reason why the original was so interesting and so horrifying in the first place. So yeah. I assume they, it's kind of a spoiler, but also it's a trigger warning. So maybe I should mention it since we just encouraged everybody to watch the original, but in the original uh, that there are twins who become convinced that, their mother uh, is not their mother because she had a plastic surgery procedure where her face is entirely bandaged and she's acting very strange because, you know, she's going through this messy divorce from their father and they just become convinced that she is not their mother. And in the original, they end up torturing her, like straight up torturing her, strapping her to a bed and trying to get a confession out of her. And in the American version, the remake that is toned way down. Like the quote unquote torture is they dump ice water on her. Oh, come on. Yeah. Which really, really like ruins what's supposed to be happening in that movie. Because as Meredith mentioned, the twins have all of our sympathy in the beginning. And then what's so great about the original is there is a turning point in that movie where suddenly you realize like, all of your sympathy goes towards her because you understand like why she's been behaving this way. And now she's like, Oh my God, are they going to kill her? Like, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, and that is like completely ruined in the, uh, the remake. Uh, 
but I'll just say like, oh, and there were like these like Americanized elements, like instead of a crossbow, they have a gun. Oh, come on. The crossbow is so creepy. It's so creepy. And like, yeah. And instead of Red Cross workers, they're cops. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which again, I'm like, it does make sense if you're going to like have this set in America. That would be true. We don't have Red Cross workers who go door to door like, you know, they do in other countries. It probably would be the cops, sadly. But I don't know. It just like really... I didn't enjoy it. And the whole time I was sort of like, I would rather be watching the original. However, I will say it was very, very nice to see Naomi Watts in something again. Yeah. I, I keep seeing her face in, uh, like streaming film. Yeah. You know, uh, cards, but they all seem like they're the same. It's like, I don't know why she seems to be doing movies that are all takes or, I just assume they look like they're all takes on we need to talk about Kevin. But well, I'll say like, okay, so she's 53. So, and I have to say like, she's gorgeous. Like she still looks like she could be 30, of course, because uh, she's an actress in Hollywood and has to look like that forever or she can't work. But I have a feeling that, because do you remember like Mulholland Drive? She was like one of the biggest actresses in the world. Yeah. And she then was. she dropped off the fucking radar and it's like, yeah, dude, because she's north of 50 now. And in Hollywood, that means you don't work anymore, I guess. Well, unless you're Nicole Kidman, um, right. her best friend. But also, God, that's depressing because she's so talented and was great. And, you know, honestly, like I rewatched The Ring lately or like recently and she was incredible in it. Like she's really good in horror movies. I'm it just that stinks. Did I tell you I that more. The Ring was the first movie I saw on like a proper date date that wasn't like a group date? No. And he got real scared. <laughs> I mean, it's The Ring. That's valid, but that's like my memory of The Ring, seeing it on a first date with a guy who got very scared. Oh god. Um, that- <laughs> Like, I know she, you know, Naomi Watts, there was just like some bad luck shit that happened to her. Like she was originally supposed to be in Game of Thrones. She was in that notorious pilot that that, they shot. Yeah. Yeah. That they they ended up scrapping an entire pilot because according to the suits at HBO, it wasn't working. And they like recast pretty much everybody, including Naomi Watts. But she was supposed to be in in Game of Thrones, which I think would have been obviously great for her career. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just like some bad luck shit like that happened too. I bet um, stuff falling through. But even though I was overall underwhelmed by the Goodnight Mommy remake, she was great. Um, I just really missed the the actress whose name I don't have in front of me in the original was so scary. And, like, her physicality was so specific and the way they styled that character with, like, the bruising around her eyes. I found her much more terrifying than what Naomi Watts did. Naomi Watts has, like, almost too much warmth to her in it. Um, And I never really buy that, like, these kids could be, like, their lives could be in jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the original, I was like, she might straight up kill these kids. (laughs) 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 and frankly it would have been better if she had (laughs) um and i'll say one more thing without giving away 
the the plot twist entirely, but there's a big like giant twist that happens at the end of Goodnight Mommy that is so telegraphed in the American remake that I was like, did they mean to give it away? Because it's incredibly obvious. Um, oh, yeah, so disappointing. So disappointed in that. But um, and then also. I'm going to see Pearl tonight. So next episode, I'll have, uh, and you're going to see it too, right? Before next yeah, episode. Yeah. Okay. We'll have a review of Pearl. So stand by for that. I'll just say uh, without having seen any of it, that it's a recommendation because it's getting incredibly good reviews. Yeah. And I'm already excited for the still unshot on. Maybe it has been written. I'm not sure, but they announced it at a, a at Toronto uh, when Pearl premiered the third film in what is now a trilogy, Maxine, with three X. Yes, uh, I, it's so impressive that this was just born during uh, the pandemic. Like that, all of a sudden they were like, "What if we did a trilogy?" Or I guess Mia Goth. That was her idea. Like, what if we? explored this character more and i'm like that's so cool that they just decided to do that during a pandemic yeah well and i mean it speaks well to her incredible talent and creative uh skills and it's nice to have ty west just pumping out movies uh like a good version of eli roth yeah that's really well put he's the good eli roth yeah yeah, I like everything I've seen of his. I've, I've really enjoyed. So I'm looking forward to Pearl. Um, so the the main reason I wanted Meredith to come on the show today, it well, two reasons. There's two uh, films that we both saw recently. And the first is Barbarian. Now, I think we have to spoil this if we're going to talk about it. We do. I was thinking, I've been thinking about this since you went to see it and we're like, we have to talk about this on the show. And I won't, I don't want to talk about it until we talk about it on the show. Uh, we have to, because yeah. there is, and so apologies, but the, the trailer, I just literally do not know how anyone could market this movie without ruining it. So the fact yeah. that they even were able to do any publicity is astounding to me <laughs> so yeah if you haven't seen it save this episode stop listening right now we're also gonna spoil uh speak no evil that's coming up too we're gonna we have to talk about spoilers <laughs> for both so if you're interested in either of those films save this episode come back later i won't be mad at you but yeah there's really no way to not spoil these films if we're gonna talk about them um so you mentioned the the twist meredith about Barbarian. I listened to an interview with Zach Kreger, who is Krieger Kreger, who's the director and writer of Barbarian, and also was in The Whitest Kids You Know, if you were a fan of that comedy troupe. Um, I mentioned that to someone recently, and they were like, I've never heard of that in my life. And I was like, okay, <laughs> maybe that's just a comedy nerd thing. But I was like, Zach Kreger. Okay. Uh, once I put that together, I was very excited. But he was saying that he was really nervous about the marketing of this movie. And then weirdly, Disney, and this is a Disney film, everybody, 
the Disney executives were like very on board with not spoiling it in the trailer where they were like, no, that's the whole thing. The twist is the whole thing. We got to keep that secret. So I was like oddly impressed by those suits. I was like, yeah, because like, you know, we'll get to the twist in a second. But like, uh, I did not know Justin Long is in this movie and his name is like on all of the posters. And I just somehow missed all of the posters, all of the promotional material that like clearly, cause he's a big star. They wanted to say he's in it, you know? Yeah. Um, but I missed that somehow. And I was so glad I did because, um, I guess we can like quickly run down what actually <laughs> happens in this movie. <laughs> uh, so Georgina Campbell plays our main character, Tess, who's a, a woman who has rented an Airbnb. She shows up, it's late at night, it's pouring rain. Uh, she goes to get the key out of the lockbox, but uh-oh, the key's not there. She knocks on the door, and some dude, played by Bill Skarsgård, the scariest man you know, uh, his name is Keith in the movie, Turns out, uh-oh, they double booked the Airbnb. So Tess and Keith are like, what do we do? Keith seemingly very courteously is like, you could stay here and I'll sleep on the couch and you can take the bedroom. You should not be wandering the city late at night. Um, so she agrees to this. And I don't know how you felt, Meredith, but this whole time, I knew there was going to be some kind of twist, right? And I was convinced that Keith was luring her into the house. Oh, I, yeah. I was convinced. I was like, okay, you don't, I, I kind of didn't know. I thought it was going to be a situation where when he mentions during a conversation, he's like, oh yeah, my friends and I are, you know, the exact kind of hipsters who do art shit in under, you know, like, and are gentrifying Detroit, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh God, is he, do he and his friends run like oh. a secret, like hipster snuff situation? Yeah. yeah, that didn't even occur to me. But like, now that you mentioned that, yeah, totally. I, I just thought it was too convenient because like they start speaking and Tess reveals that she's in Detroit to do this job interview for a documentary filmmaker. And it turns out Keith like knows about this documentary, like very obscure documentary maker and has seen one of the documentaries. I'm like, Tess can hardly believe it. She's like, oh my God, this is so serendipitous. And all of this is going down and I'm like, he's lying. He's lying. He's profiled you. That's how he knows you're a documentary filmmaker. That's how he knows about this documentary. He is just luring you into a false sense of security. So they like start flirting they're vibing a little bit and it's cute it's like a meet cute basically where it's like oh my god they kind of like would be a cute couple you know yeah well um, i mean also there is the double booked airbnb has become a trope katie holmes made a movie recently where oh, that yeah. is the premise i think there's also like a winona Ryder movie that uh is based on this, but like that is in a castle or something. I don't know. It's very right. lifetime. Like, oh, we've double booked and now it's time for us to like decide to fall in love. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so it's like really cute. But also, did I mention it's Bill Skarsgård? So the whole time you're like, you're kind of hot, but you're kind of scary. Yeah. And you could go into full it mode at any moment and like really be terrifying. So I'm on edge the whole time. They go to bed. She closes the door. Um, 
she wakes up in the middle of the night. The door is wide fucking open, which is very, very scary. Um, and Keith is having a nightmare or something. And he's like shouting in his sleep. And it's like a very unsettling situation. She wakes him up. And he's like scared because she wakes him up in the middle wakes of the him night. Up in the middle of the night, yeah. Which again, you know, you suspect him, but then he reacts that way, and it's like, okay, is Keith not a bad guy? Like, what's happening here? And she goes, "Did you open my door?" And he goes, "No." Like, are you fucking crazy? Why did you wake me up? So she feels really embarrassed. She goes back to sleep. Next morning, she wakes up, and Keith is not there. He says that he has had to. He leaves a note saying he had business, and he'll be back later. And then in the note, he's like, I really had fun last night. And she's like, phew, I didn't blow it with the cute boy. So she goes to use the bathroom. Turns out no toilet paper. We've all been there. She starts looking around the Airbnb. Where's the toilet paper? Oh, maybe it's in the spooky-ass basement. So she goes down there. Um, and she finds the toilet paper, but she starts looking around and there's this weird bit of rope sticking out from the wall. She pulls it. It's a secret fucking door. Now at this point, Meredith, what do you do? Uh, run, 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 run. This yeah. is like my main issue with the, the the film. And I thought Georgina Campbell did an amazing job. She is a scream queen. I want to see her in more films like this. She was so good. Tess as a character is in this shitty situation where she has to be the character that continuously makes the wrong decision so we can keep the plot moving forward. And it, I saw it with like a pretty full theater and people were like, you dumb bitch, like at the screen. They were like mad at her. They were like, why are you doing this? Um, especially as like, not to typecast or stereotype, but a black woman doing this. I'm like, Tess, honey, like, she just keeps, so she goes through this secret doorway and finds the snuff room that we alluded to earlier. It's just like a gross mattress on the floor, an old camcorder, and this is a bad room where bad things have happened. We know it instant, instantaneously. Even that, before you see the bloody handprint on the wall. On the wall. There's, a, there's yeah. a fucking bloody handprint. Tess continues to look around, and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like only bad things could have happened in this room. You're not going to find like an innocent explanation. So she is, uh, at this point, what happens then? Does she, she gets stuck in the basement, right. the door shuts and she's locked in. She, right. uh, waits until Keith gets back to the house. And when he sees that there, he can't get in, she like knocks on the door, makes him help her get out. And then, Keith decides rather Ugh. than listen to her when she says, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, something horrible, horrible, horrible. He goes into the basement to check things out and disappears. And so, again, like, yeah, having listened to an interview with um, Zach describing how he wrote this screenplay, I understand, like, you just have to keep the plot moving forward. So you do have to have this awkward moment where, like, yes, absolutely, 99% of the time, if a Tess and Keith find themselves in a situation like this, they would fucking leave the Airbnb, but then your movie's over. So you have to find a reason to keep the plot going. So there's just this like brief moment of confusion where Tess is trying to explain what she saw to Keith. And he's like, I don't understand. You saw a room with a bed. Like the immediacy and urgency of what is happening is not landing with him and he's like i just want to go see it because i'm a man and i don't believe when w women tell me things yeah and which Tess at least i can un understand and also like in my mind i was like okay well 
you know, he's Bill Skarsgård, so he's probably got a weird snuff murder situation <laughs> and his friends are waiting in the basement and they're exactly. going to like put her in the murder room. Right. When he, when he's fighting her on that, I'm like, okay, you are the barbarian. You are the person we should be afraid of. You're trying to lure her into the basement. He goes down there at this point. Tess should have left once again, but she's a good fucking person. That's like her defining characteristic in this film. She's a good person who does not leave people behind who should be left behind. So, He's down there a while. She's like, what the fuck's going on? She goes after him and screams the name Keith roughly 8,000 times as she is looking for him. Uh Uh-oh, he's not in the snuff room. Where the fuck did he go? Is this some kind of magic trick? Uh, And then she finds the second door, everyone, to the even somehow creepier cellar. Yeah. And... You know, that was the moment where I was like, okay, I know that Detroit has been taking a lot of shit, but they don't have, like, (laughs) crypts. No, that we know of. Let's just say that on the record. That we know of there are no crypts in Detroit. Maybe there are. I don't know. I'm not a historical expert uh, about Detroit or about anywhere, actually. So... Because Tess has to keep the plot going, she goes down these steps, which, like, again, my audience was going crazy. They were like, run, bitch. What are you doing? We all agree Tess should not have done this, but Tess has to do it for the sake of the film, right? So she goes down there. She screams Keith 7,000 times. Where is he? Oh, my God. There are cages. Okay. There are, like, that I recall maybe five to six cages down there. Not a good sign, Tess. She keeps going, though. She keeps going into the dark tunnels. And then I would say in one of the scariest moments of the film, uh, Bill Skarsgård, full bug eyes, comes crawling out of the darkness. Oh, I screamed. Yeah. Fully screamed. He has such a great face for moments like that. And I found out, because I listened to this interview uh, with Zach, that he doesn't like doing horror and being in horror films. And I, I wonder if he's like worried about being typecast, <laughs> which I would say, Bill, it's too late. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You're a Skarsgård. You are going to be doing this for the rest of your life. Like you're hot, but you're a little off putting all the time, which makes you hotter. That's good, Bill. It's good. But yeah, he, I actually really liked him in this role. Well, we'll get to it in a second. So even at this point, I'm like, he's bait he's like luring her to go even further into the crypt with him so he can kill her and then everybody uh a monster (laughs) runs out of the darkness he's saying that someone bit him and she's like what are you talking about we have to get out of here and then a full ass monster runs out of the darkness grabs keith by the head and uh smashes his skull to pulp against the wall it's very graphic it's very intense and I was fully shocked because I was like oh my god it's real Keith is not the monster we haven't met the monster yet and I uh you know obviously this is where things go you know suddenly we're in the spoiler space oh my god I was you know I'm always here for a good underground uh cannibal murderer type Mm -hmm. i love the descent i think it's one of my favorite movies of all time uh but i was not prepared i was like okay this is very confusing but it feels like the end of the movie it feels like the movie ends well it literally cuts to black and i was like what the the fuck is happening (laughs) what's happening what's What's going on and then 
this is when I'm like, oh, it's we're playing it like that. Okay, barbarian. We are suddenly on like the sunny California highway. Uh, there's a convertible cruising along being driven by what the fuck Justin Long. Yeah. Who I also did not realize was in the film, despite apparently him being all over the advertising. I was like, wait, what what's going on? <laughs> Although if you're the kind of person who likes who who like us is sort of remembers when Justin Long was the Mac guy in those ads when he was kind of everywhere dating Drew Barrymore. Yes. The, it immediately said to me, okay, something bad is going to happen to Justin Long. And I got very excited. Oh yeah. <laughs> like he's so well cast in this because he's playing this guy, AJ, who's an actor. And we learn within five minutes of meeting AJ that he's very excited because he got cast in what seems like a very exciting pilot. He gets a phone call from his agent. He's on cloud nine. He's like, what's up, man? And he finds out that he has been uh, me too'd, that an actress that, who shot the pilot with him is accusing him of sexual assault. There's this big piece being written about it that's going to be published, and he is completely fucked. They're dropping him from the pilot. And then uh, very quickly, he's also dropped by like his agent, his accountant, and we're just watching this actor's life fall apart and at this point he's claiming that it's not true he's saying she's lying um and at this point i'm understanding why they cast justin long because this is like a very unlikable guy but because it's justin long he's like compelling enough that you want to keep watching him Mm -hmm. and i think if it was not him if it was like a a guy who like radiates douchiness a little more i would be like i fucking hate this dude (laughs) like i don't want to i mean i still hated the character but it was still like all right like what's going on um why are we suddenly with this actor he goes to his accountant as i said the accountant drops him but they have this conversation where he's like listen i'm facing a lot of legal fees how am i going to pay for any of this and his accountant's like well, you could sell some of your Detroit properties. And that's when we, the audience, are like, okay, he owns the Airbnb. Um, And that's the connection. And I was like, holy shit, this little horror film has such an interesting structure with this uh, screenplay that I'm going to talk about in a second, like how this happened, because it's so unusual, the structure of the story. So Justin goes to Detroit against like the advice of his legal team. They're like, you should not leave the state. You are under investigation for a very serious crime at the worst or at the, the, I should say at the very least, it looks suspicious that you're leaving the state, but he's like, whatever, I have to go see my properties in Detroit. So he goes to the Airbnb and he finds all of their shit because Tess and Keith now are missing. So he's like, what is happening? I didn't know anybody was going to be staying here. Like he calls Airbnb and he's like, or his team or whatever. And he's like, is anybody supposed to be here? And they were like, no, there were people, there was a person staying there, but they shouldn't be there anymore. He goes through all their stuff and he's like trying to figure out what's going on. So he starts exploring the house, trying to figure out like, are they like, in the basement, what's happening. And he also (laughs) discovers the hidden snuff room. And what's so brilliant about this is you're probably thinking, is it redundant 
that, you know, we're seeing another character finding these spaces. What's so great about AJ finding them is he's excited because he thinks it's going to add to the square footage of his Airbnb and he'll be able to charge more money. (laughs) Yeah, that was the Googling to find out uh, if windowless basement (laughs) uh, can be listed as like a bedroom. Like, does it count as square footage? I was like, oh, okay. Realizing that he was a comedy, that the director, writer is the comedy guy, that that tracked. So, um, I should mention, I mean, too, I skipped over a part where we see AJ go, like, out on the town with a friend of his. And we learn during their, like, bro-to-bro conversation. His bro is like, hey, man, I heard a lot of crazy accusations against you. You can tell me. What happened? What happened? And he denies it. A little bit and then he's like I mean you know she took some convincing and he uh, you know pretty much confesses to having raped her Um, and so that all happens and then okay we're we're in the basement AJ is thrilled he's like oh my god he finds the second door he's like holy shit there's even more space he's measuring it with a measuring tape which is amazing amazing uh, at this point, I'm like, okay, is gentrification the barbarian? Like, who is the barbarian? <laughs> like, I'm just like the whole time I'm like, I know there's going to be more to this. What is happening? So uh, he goes deeper and deeper, even deeper than we saw Tess and Keith go into these tunnels. And he finds Tess, who is still alive. She's being held in a pit in this like terrifying cellar. And uh, does he fall or does she th- throw him in there uh the the creepy because the the crazy monster is a lady we should say is a lady uh and she throws him into the pit and he sees uh tess and uh they're suddenly in this weird pit and then she then the monster tries to make him drink milk Mm. from a bottle the grossest bottle you'll ever see in your life. Not like a normal cute baby bottle. Like this is a gross descent distended like nipple on this bottle. And Tess, who is terrified, is like, you have to drink it. You have to drink the milk. You're her baby. She thinks you're her baby. Just drink the milk. And, you know, kind of understandably, AJ is like, no, like that is horrifying. And I don't know what's going on here. And that really, really upsets the mother, as she's called. And she jumps down into the pit, grabs Justin Long, and drags him to this spooky-ass room where there is an old TV sitting on the floor showing, playing a VHS of, like, an instructional on how to breastfeed your baby. And she tries to breastfeed Justin Long in a horrifying scene (laughs) where he is... um, being forced to, I'll just say it, suckle. And during that time, Tess uh, is able to escape because the mother in her haste left the the door to the, the dungeon open. So again, we have a moment with Tess where she gets out of there and then she stops because she feels bad that she left behind this actor dude she just met Like, I don't understand at that point. I know she's a good person, but I'm like, you literally just met him. Like, we were on shaky ground with Keith 
It's like, all right, you have a crush on this guy, but are you going to die for him? But now it's for a man that she has absolutely no attachment to. But also, you know what? Women sacrifice a lot for men who don't deserve it all the time. Yeah. At the same time, though, like, I can understand, like, I, if I thought that I was going to get to bone a Skarsgård, I might do some dumb shit. See, yeah, I, I actually like I'm with Tess for the Keith stuff, but the AJ stuff, I'm like, who is this man to you? You literally yeah. just like had a 10 second interaction with him and like, uh, but anyway, so uh, Tess runs out and it, like she had already had this like a very brief interaction with a homeless man in the neighborhood when she was first getting to Airbnb, like this really scary moment. This homeless man like runs down the street screaming at her. Don't go in there. Don't go in there. She of course is creeped out, goes in the Airbnb anyways, and all of this shit happens. But when she escapes, she sees that homeless guy again. And this time it's like, okay, you're a friend. You're not a foe. Like you were trying to warn me not to go in there. And what happens is what, like, I knew this was going to happen. I'm like, if she gets out of this house, she's going to interact with the cops at some point in Detroit and it's going to be bad. <laughs> like, yeah. It's going to be bad. Lo and behold, that does happen. She like, she gets away from the house. She does exactly what we, the audience want her to do, which is like, get out of there, girl. What are you doing? So she starts walking. She comes across a gas station um, and she calls the cops. The cops show up and like fully don't believe her. They think she's a crackhead. Um, cause she looks a little rough from having been held captive yeah. <laughs> and, and she's a black woman. So they're like, you're on drugs. And she, somehow she convinces them to come back to the house. They come back to the house, but because she doesn't have a key, they're like, well, you're breaking and entering. And she's like, no, I'm staying here. This is an Airbnb. And they're like, if this was your house, you would have a key. So what I'm looking at right now is you trying to force your way into the, and it's like, oh my God, are they going to arrest her? Like, I thought that was coming. Which like, you know, okay, twist. It's actually a good thing to get arrested, but nope, <laughs> they just leave her. And it's all up to this poor woman to figure out what to do. And of course she has to go in and like, come on. Like I would, I, I would have, I would be out there and I have sympathy to having to do like actually have a plot, but I'm sorry. You've seen the weird, uh, you've seen the creepy ass breastfeeding monster. So uh, we don't go back down. I'm no. sorry. Like, I'm sorry to this man. I just met. Um, I don't even think she knows his name at that point. Um, but Tess is, uh, she's got a heart of pure gold. What can I say? So she goes back for stupid Justin Long. They actually, they do get out. Um, oh, wait, no. First he, when does he meet the actual Bob Owen? When do, when do we have that first oh, right. cutaway? When, when okay. does that happen? I think it's when... Uh... I don't even remember anymore. Yeah, I know. So, you know, there's a moment suddenly you're back in the old days when the house was new. And uh, lo and behold, um, the original resident of this home is Fritzel. You know, like mm -hmm. full on, I'm going to start, I'm going to kidnap women and keep them in the basement and make them my weird slaves yeah it's really creepy they show him like staking out 
a parking lot and he sees a young woman buying groceries or something. He follows her back to her home. He has a repairman uh, work outfit that he changes into and he tells her that he is from the uh, electrical company or something and he needs to come in and inspect her home. She lets him in because he's working. He's wearing a work uniform. So she's like, this must be legit. Here's a little advice. Never let any man who's on his own into your home. Because <laughs> usually they'll travel in teams if they're, like, doing an inspection or something. I don't know. I, that's just my, like, and ask to see identification and all that shit. Like, not just because he's wearing a work uniform. So he comes in, and all we see is him unlock her bathroom window. And it's like, okay, he's going to come back later and, you know, abduct this poor woman. Um, so, yeah, we we see him as, like, not a young man, but like a younger man. And he has a conversation with his neighbor who's like, Hey, the, you know, the neighborhood's really going to shit. Uh, we're going to sell our house. Are you going to leave? And he's like, I'm not going anywhere. And we see him walk into the home with the supplies he's, he's bought at the store and open the basement door. And there is a woman screaming down there. Uh, so that's when we realize, like, okay, the the roots of the evilness in this house like go back to this guy this is the barbarian so we come back to the present and justin long is trying to get away from the mother and he keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper into the cellar and he finds like a full bunker with a bed and in the bed is our barbarian uh who his name is frank and played by Richard Brake, P- possibly one of the only actors who has a, a creepier face than Bill Skarsgård. <laughs> well, you know, it's that's yes. He <laughs> like I wouldn't let somebody into my house work work uniform or no. A person that looks like that, I'd With be like, mug. I'm gonna need to give a phone call. <laughs> yeah, sir, you are. Uh, you're really giving off serial killer vibes. No offense. Uh, and actually, Frank is a serial killer. So there you go. Um, so it basically, it turns out, we learn later on. Um, well, yeah. So <laughs> I'm like, do I say this part? Yeah. So Justin Long finds all of like the the VHS tapes on the wall. And they are all named. Uh, they all have ladies' names or like descriptions of ladies on them and he puts in one of the tapes and they don't show anything thankfully but based on Justin Long's reaction we realize these are snuff tapes and he has recorded all of his crimes Justin Long AJ let's remember who is a full ass rapist turns around and he goes what is wrong with you (laughs) (laughs) just like all right dude I mean like Frank is worse than AJ but also AJ you're a rapist so maybe don't be so judgy um and Frank is like very, very elderly and very sick. And he's like gesturing to the side table and Justin doesn't know what he wants. So he brings the table over to him. Frank opens the drawer, pulls out a gun for a second. AJ's like, "Uh Oh, is this the end? Is he about to shoot me? No. Frank shoots himself, dies by suicide. That is the end of Frank. So at this point, Justin and Tess do escape the basement But, oh, no, the mother is, like, in full-ass monster mode now and is chasing them. (laughs) 
like through the neighborhood. They happen upon the homeless guy from before who's like, come with me, come with me. They go to his little camp. He's like, we're totally safe here, guys. And it's like, all right, obviously that's not going to happen. She crashes through a wall. And then in one of the craziest moments in a film ever, rips off the homeless guy's arm and beats him to death with it. Which like at this point, you need something like that because why, why, why stop? You've already got, you, you've killed Bill Skarsgård. This woman can't stop going back into the murder basement. You've got an, a monster lady, a naked monster lady with, uh, you know, terrifying spikes for teeth. You've got a Fritzel. Yeah. So why not? We should say, too, that, you know, the homeless guy gives them a little historical rundown before he dies where he's like, oh, yeah, Frank, let me tell you about Frank. And we learn that the mother is like the daughter of his daughter of it. Like he there's been like multiple generations of incest where the mother is like the result of, you know him uh raping the daughter of his daughter of his daughter and somehow i guess that has given her like superhuman strength and the mother is actually played by an actor named matthew patrick davis so it's a a man playing a woman which i was like okay um but yeah she she somehow is like very strong because (laughs) There's been a lot of incest in this family. I don't know. Um, we we don't think about that too deeply, everybody. So they freak out. The homeless guy's dead. They run up to the roof to get away from the mother. And in one of my favorite moments of the film, we think for like a split second, AJ is redeeming himself because, oh yeah, we I completely forgot to mention after Frank shoots himself, AJ has the gun and he accidentally shoots Tess before they escape. So she is like bleeding from the stomach this whole time, but she keeps saying I'm okay. And I'm like, are you Tess? I don't know. Um, and, but he like helped her, you know, like when she was hurt and it's like, Oh my God, is AJ going to redeem himself? And then they are on this roof and he has a moment where he's like, I can save myself right now if I give her you. And it's like, Oh no. AJ, what are you doing, man? And he throws Tess off the roof and says, go get your baby to the mother. And the mother dives after Tess. And AJ just, you know, confirms the fact that he is a piece of shit. I was really glad they leaned into him being a piece of shit and didn't give this man redemption. Any redemption. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So in addition to being gifted with super strength, apparently the mother also has super speed. Because by the time Justin gets down to the road, weirdly, mother is under Tess. Like, I don't know the physics of that, how that worked. But um, it turns out Tess is alive. Holy shit. And he's leaning over her and he's lying to her again where he's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry about that. What happened on the roof three seconds ago? That's not who I am. (laughs) And then he's like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. And thank God Tess does not believe men anymore. She grabs the gun and she shoots him dead, Um, which we're so happy. We're so happy that Tess has learned not to sacrifice her own safety for men anymore. Um, And then she gets to do like her full ass hero walk down the street. I loved it. This movie is crazy. 
And I was so surprised by it. And so like, it's so rare that you see a movie like this and it genuinely surprises you that I was like 10 out of 10. Love it. Chef's kiss. Oh, I know. I, I was very happy because of course, as usual, you know, oh, right. It's, it's happening. The movie's out. We've got to go see it. And then I went and saw it on Sunday. You went and saw it on Monday. It was one of the hardest things of my life to not say I know. anything. You did keep it I was like, You were just like, well, I knew something huge happened because you were like, you have to tell me immediately when you see it. And I was like, what the fuck happens in this movie? Um, but you did keep the, tw- the twist under a lock and key, which I appreciate. Um, the one thing I want to say about this interview I heard, it, it was on The Big Picture with Sean Fennessy. Uh, Zach was talking about the screenwriting process. And this is a wild story. But basically, the beginning, his first draft of Barbarian was just Keith and Tess. So I don't know, like, the ending or anything like that, but it was just about like an Airbnb horror situation. He was working with a producer who told him that he was introduced, he was interested in producing the film. Zach was like, great, sent him the screenplay. The producer goes, hey, I really like this, but it feels like something is missing. So Zach looks at it again. And in two days, he wrote the Justin Long part, which is amazing. He goes back to that producer he sends him the new draft and the producer ghosted him. <laughs> so he was like, all right. And he went to the team that he ended up making the film with. But can you imagine you give the best note of all time and then you're like, peace. <laughs> it's like, whole you fucked up, dude. <laughs> like, sorry. I mean, I like I said, I'm amazed this movie got made because it just is so like the fact that it goes for it and just says, all right, well, we're, we're making, I've made these choices and we are just barreling down into the madness. Yeah. And I love it. it. Like it, I mean, it doesn't feel like you are breaking rules, like structural rules. And it's just because you're breaking rules. It's so refreshing because the execution is so good, you know, like, yeah, it's well-written. You have amazing actors. It's an interesting story, so you can get away with it. But it's like, when they faded to black and we came up on Justin Long, I'm like, this is technically incorrect. <laughs> like, like, you should not be telling a story this way. And for that reason, it's really surprising and refreshing and wonderful. So can't recommend enough. Hopefully, you didn't listen to this if you haven't seen it yet. But if you don't care about spoilers, see it anyway. Let's yeah. talk about Speak No Evil. I'm a little mad at you that I watched this film. <laughs> oh, this is, yeah. I mean, I'm not sorry. I'm it's still, great. I I thought to myself, well, maybe I should rewatch it before we talk about it. And I got literally three minutes in yeah. and I was like, can't, nope, can't do it. Absolutely not. Yeah. So let me say, if you were in any way in like a vulnerable position mentally, like if you're feeling a little blue, got some depression going on, don't watch this film. It's like, it, it's an ordeal. It's excellent and like really well written and acted and very disturbing, which me, when I say that, I mean, it's very effective because it is trying to disturb you. Um, but holy fucking shit. Like... So it I, is it is one of the most upsetting movies I've ever seen. Like I would put it up there with funny games. Yes, for sure. As definitely. like you know, in terms of the level of like distress. 
also, you know, just as a summary, this is a movie that has like, which its entire message is fuck politeness. Yes. Which I, again, is a great, you know, listen, Tess, we just talked about in Barbarian, fuck politeness. Like she should not have kept going back for these men. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> are going to get her killed. Sorry, Keith, you're hot, but we need Tess to get away. Uh, and in Speak No Evil, same business. Uh, so it's about this couple who, um, they're the parents of a young girl named Agnes. And Bjorn and Luis are a couple from Denmark, and they're on vacation in Tuscany uh, with Agnes. They're having a great time. And while they're at this resort, they meet this other couple, Patrick and Karen. They're a Dutch couple and they have a little son, Abel. And it's like, oh my God, so serendipitous. What are the odds that we like, we meet another cool couple who we want to hang out with and they also have a little kid. And, you know, like, I think Bjorn more than Luis is like really taken with this couple. Like, he thinks Patrick is like the bee's knees. He wants to be his BFF for life. They are like clearly destined to be bros. So they hang out during their vacation, but then the vacation ends and Bjorn and Louise go back to Denmark and then they get a postcard in the mail from Patrick and Karen. And they were like, Hey, we had such an amazing time on this vacation. Y'all should like come visit and stay with us. And Louise is a little like, Oh, we just met these people. Like, and, you-, you know, this yeah. guy was a little bit off. I don't know. And of course, like the you know like a typical man he says oh i don't know they seemed like nice enough it could be fun and like what's the harm we can always leave it's you know this is like yeah a tall white man being like i don't have an alpha predator in the the wild i think this is a great idea and his wife is like all right this is like louise's test moment where it's like don't go with him but she goes with him Uh, And the whole family packs up and they drive to Patrick and Karen's home and they get there. And like, I'll say like one of the most disturbing things about this movie isn't the end when like all of, I mean, the ending is horrific, everything that happens. But like I started, I felt uncomfortable immediately because like little weird things were happening at their home. So like they get there It's a smaller home and uh, they discover that Agnes doesn't like have a bed. They're just going to put her on a mat in Abel's room. So it's like, okay, cool. You want our daughter to sleep on the floor. That's like a little weird to begin with because they're going to be there the entire weekend. And it's like, she shouldn't have to sleep on the floor. But the mom is trying to be polite, which is what did we learn? A big fucking mistake. So she's like, oh, you'll just like, we'll figure it out, which by that she means you'll sleep in bed with us. We'll share the bed. And then like little things start to happen. Patrick reveals himself to be like an asshole um, where he's very narcissistic and doesn't listen to shit Louise is telling him. Like when they first meet, she makes it very clear she's a vegetarian. But he has prepared nothing but meat the whole weekend. (laughs) So much meat. So So much meat. meat. And she eats. She eats it because she's trying to be polite. And like clearly it's going to make her sick because Bjorn's like, don't eat that much, you know? Yeah. Um, Because she hasn't digested meat in a while and that can make you very, very sick. So 
she's putting her body in jeopardy. And it we just notice little things like Karen is mothering her daughter a lot, which is very annoying, <laughs> like telling her how to cut her food, how to sit to the point where finally like Louise is like, stop it. Stop talking to my daughter like you're her mother. I'm her mother. And we keep having these moments where they're butting heads and it's like tense. And like those moments were so awkward and upsetting that I was like, y'all need to get out of there. You need to leave. Um, and you know, like a bunch of other stuff happens. It gets more and more awkward and it culminates with this night of they're supposed to go out to dinner. Like Patrick and Karen say, we have this great place. Let's all go and get dinner, drinks. It'll be a great time. So Bjorn and Louise assume that means like the whole family is going and they're about to leave. Like Agnes is in her like little coat. She's ready to go. And this dude shows up, some random dude. And Louise is like, hi, what's happening? And Karen goes, oh, that's a babysitter. You know, the conversation we never had that I'm going to leave your daughter with some strange man you've never met before. And that is such a horrifying moment where like Louise is like trying to be polite, but she's also like, this dude's going to be alone with my daughter. And Karen's like, oh, he's great. He watches all of the kids in the neighborhood. And she's just like, well, fuck, I have to make a decision right now that could potentially change my daughter's life. And she just goes. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of guy who like basically, he looks like he should be walking in with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He looks shady as fuck. So... But he's, like, pleasant. He's, like, doing magic for her. So she's, like, okay, I guess it's safe enough. And she goes. They go out, and it turns out it's not really a restaurant. It's, like, a roadside bar. Like, shocking that this place serves food, basically. And they, uh, you know, Patrick is, like, oh, my God, you have to try, like, all of this great Dutch food. He, like, orders off the menu like he basically orders everything on the menu the this table is just like overflowing with food they drink way too much um they Patrick and Karen start dancing but they like it's like way too much PDA like they're basically fucking on the dance floor and Bjorn and Louise try to dance too but like they're clearly uncomfortable like this is a more conservative couple they're not gonna like do the nasty in public. Right. So end of the night, they're like, we want to go. Um, and it's time to settle up the bill. (laughs) And basically, uh, Patrick just looks at Bjorn, like, are you going to pay? And Bjorn's like, I'm sorry. You're the one who said you made it sound like you were going to treat us out to like a nice dinner and you ordered everything. And then he's like, do you want me to pay for it? And Patrick is like, thanks so much, buddy. And just walks away and Bjorn fucking pays. Why? Because they're too fucking polite. <laughs> so everybody's wasted. They go back to Patrick and Karen's and, you know, Bjorn and Louise, because they're drunk and they're on vacation, start to have sex. Louise is really into it. And Agnes starts to call for her mom. And it's like, oh, are you kidding me? Like mom's about to orgasm and her daughter is like calling for her. She's like, ignores her for maybe 30 seconds so they can finish having sex. Um, and then again, in one of the scariest moments of the film, uh, Patrick or uh, Bjorn looks up and Patrick is watching them. 
through the window, which is like, <laughs> yeah, like you leave at that point, my dude. Like, what is happening? So he doesn't say anything to Louise. He just sees it and he's like, okay, that's weird. So Louise eventually gets up to go see if Agnes is okay. She goes into Abel's room and it's just Abel in there. Agnes is gone. So she's like, what the fuck? She goes to Patrick and Karen's bedroom. Patrick is fully naked in the bed. And, you know, admittedly, Karen's between them and she has her clothes on. But Agnes is also in bed with them. And it's like, cool, cool, cool. My daughter is in bed with a fully naked man. So that for Louise is like done, right? Understandably so. This was when I was like, thank you. Like she grabs Agnes. She goes back to the bedroom and she's like, Bjorn, we're leaving. We're leaving. It's over. And he's like, what? What's happening? She's like, pack the bags. We're fucking going. So they get in the car and they're driving, they're driving, they're driving. And Agnes all of a sudden goes, uh, I forget the name of her little stuffed rabbit, but she's like, where's my stuffed rabbit? And they're like, fuck, we don't know where this thing is. Like she also lost it on vacation. She's just constantly losing this stuffed rabbit. So she's and look, like, I know I'm not yeah, a parent. And so I don't have a great sense of how traumatic this might be, but like, I'm sorry, kid fuck yourself. Yeah. Like cry. <laughs> it's like, I know you're sad, but we're not going back into a dangerous situation, but no, Bjorn turns around the car because he, you know, he has to, <laughs> to advance the plot and they go back and actually it turns out Bjorn gets out of the car, goes back into the house and Agnes is like, Oop, found my little rabbit. It was under the seat the whole time. We all hate Agnes. So Bjorn goes in and is like immediately confronted by Patrick and Patrick is putting on his like little wounded puppy face. And he's like, what happened? Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I was rude last night. It'll never happen again. And then Louise goes back in and Karen's like, you know, basically gaslights the fuck out of her where she's like, no, actually you've been judgy the whole time. Like you've judged our small house. You've judged the fact that I'm affectionate with my husband and makes Louise feel like she overreacted. And it's like, no bitch, you were right. And they end up staying guys. They end up staying in this fucking house. Um, and you know, turns out that Patrick, um, is actually an asshole. Uh, he, Keeps showing dickish behavior. It turns out he lied about being a doctor. <laughs> He's just a full ass liar. And then he goes, I don't believe in working, which I was like, what? What is happening? I mean, but who among us? I, I did sympathize with him a little bit. I was like, word, word, Patrick. Um, you know, he ingratiates himself to Bjorn. He knows that Bjorn really wants like a best friend. So he like takes him to this ravine where he gets Bjorn to like confess that like, he hates his life sometimes and he hates all of his friends back home. He starts crying and Patrick takes him out to the ravine and starts screaming like we're doing scream therapy right now. And Bjorn starts screaming. They are bonded for life now. And this is his new BFF. So they are back at the house and the kids have put together this little dance that they want to perform for the adults. And um, Agnes is killing it. Agnes is on rhythm. She knows all of the moves. Um, and Abel is struggling because our little friend was born without rhythm and he is um, ruining the dance basically. But who cares? They're little kids. It doesn't matter. But Patrick starts losing his mind 
and is, you know, berating this kid, shouting. He throws a glass at one point and scares everybody. <laughs> and it's like, okay, at this point, we we can see on Bjorn's face that he's like, this is like a dangerous guy. This isn't just like a dick. This is like a bad person. But they stay, and uh, there's a night where uh, I'm fast-forwarding because we're going long on this episode. So please know I'm skipping some plot right here, but Bjorn goes to explore the house at night and he comes across like a shed that there are just like wall to wall photos of families. Um, and in one of these photos, Patrick or Karen or somebody has cut out Agnes and Abel and switched them. So, Agnes is their daughter now. And that's when Bjorn is like, holy shit, I have to get out of here. He leaves, he passes their hot tub or pool or whatever it is, and Abel is floating face down dead. So someone has drowned him, probably Patrick. And at this point, Bjorn's like, holy fucking shit, we have to get out right now. He wakes up Luis in the middle of the night and Luis does not ask him what's happening, which was another moment where I was like, this is driving me crazy. Like, talk to each other. Like, explain I just found Abel dead. But he doesn't tell them. They get in the car. They're getting, they're making their getaway. Uh, Somebody's following them. He panics. He veers into a field and they get stuck because of course they do. So he gets out to get help. And as he's leaving, we see that Patrick has followed them and that he is approaching the car where Luis and Agnes are sitting. And it's like, holy shit, what is about to happen? Um, So at this point, I forget what happens. He just like goes and he tries to find help and he can't, right? Yeah, because they're in the middle of nowhere. There's, uh, you know, they're out in the the woods. It's remote, Uh, you know, long story short, this is when things get really awful. Okay, yeah. So if you were listening just because you were like, I was curious about this movie, this is when it kicks into like, this is the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. So it turns out, so <clears throat> Patrick and Karen pick them up and Bjorn is just horrified because he understands that they are murderous murderers and that his family is in danger. Luis is a little slow on the uptake and she's like, are we going back to the house? And it's like, Luis, no, honey, you're being abducted. They drive them to an area where there's another car waiting. Dude gets out of the car and uh oh, it's the babysitter from before that's not a babysitter. These are not nice people. There's some kind of weird child trafficking going on here. What is about to happen? And then Karen um, takes out a pair of scissors and cuts out Agnes's tongue, (coughs) which we find out is the reason that their son, uh, they had been saying that he was quote unquote mute (laughs) too. And it was because they also cut out his tongue. And the reason they cut out their tongues is obviously, so they can't tell people that like they've been abducted and these are not their parents. They take Agnes and Luis is screaming this whole time. Bjorn's trying to fight them. Patrick, uh, headbutts Bjorn, punches him in the stomach basically beats him into submission. Louise is screaming. They take Agnes and they drive away. 
And they're driving Bjorn and Louise to this ravine. Um, and you can just tell at a certain point, the fight drains out of Louise where she's like, my daughter has gone. I'm never going to be the same. I don't want to live. And she just gives up. And Patrick makes them strip out of their clothes, take off their underwear. They're completely naked. And this is like one of the most disturbing lines <laughs> in any <laughs> film I've ever heard. Cause it just like, Oh my God, it like stabbed me right in the heart. But Bjorn says to Patrick, why are you doing this? And Patrick says, because you let me. And it's like, oh, like, yeah, dude, you had not to victim blame, of course, but you had a hundred times, a hundred opportunities where you could have gotten away. And the whole reason you're here is because you're too polite. And Patrick makes them march into the ravine and then they kill them in one of the most horrific ways imaginable, Patrick pelts them to death with like rocks. Mm -hmm. He stands yeah, he up just there. Literally stones them. And the effect, the visual effect of the bruises and lacerations showing up on their skin was so well done that I was just like, it was it, very, very difficult to watch. Um, and that is the end of the film, you guys. Like they, there's another mound of rocks by them where it's like, oh, that's another grave. And they're going to throw rocks at you until you're covered and you'll also be in a grave. And the final scene is Agnes hanging out with them at uh, another resort. And we know that they're going to find another couple to do this to. Um, so like, what do you think they're deal is do you think there's satanist do you think it's sex trafficking i i think they're just crazy my my take on it was very much like okay these people are just villains for the sake of villainy and i felt like the confusion about what their motivations were was a little frustrating but also if they had filled in that backstory i just assume slash sort of I just know that it wouldn't be satisfying. I agree. You know? I sort of just assume that they're sadomasochists. Like they really get off on pain um, mm -hmm. because the whole thing is so elaborate. Like the way they lure them in the playing of the mind games. I'm like, they're getting like pleasure out of this. The fact that they know what's coming and this couple doesn't. Um, I think that's their whole deal. I think that's just like, that gets them off, which is so scary. Like, you know, it reminded me of the strangers where it's like, why are you doing this? Because you were home, you know, yeah, like that's, I thought that too. There's no reason. It's just, you know, like, but it's even more devastating because it is Bjorn's fault. And in fact, like he is apologizing to his wife at the end. He's saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because he's the reason they're there and this is happening. Yeah. Because he does. He is determined to be polite. He's also like weirdly enchanted by the, this like sense of masculinity, this sense of like rakish devil may careness from mm -hmm. Patrick. And so he ignores his gut instinct, which is there's something very wrong here. And that ultimately leads to their daughter being maimed uh, and kidnapped and them being murdered. And it's, it's just, an, it's like almost unbearably tense to watch things escalate until it finally happens and you realize like, oh, right, there is no other way. Like, right. this is 
like I've seen the movies that are the noose tightening around your neck. Um, you know, I hate funny games with like everything in my being. Yeah. But this, I was like, oh, I'm very upset, but that's good. So I'm not sure why this didn't bring the same level of negative reaction. Well, like I know, but it's just brilliantly constructed. I was having this experience where like what I appreciated about it was the warnings that Bjorn gets are oftentimes Patrick disrespecting his wife. So like the vegetarian thing, but also when they're driving back from the roadhouse and the music is too loud and she's like, can you please turn down the music? And he's not listening to her. Like these are all little warning moments that if Bjorn took seriously, he would have left way earlier, but he's just like, Oh, it's Patrick being Patrick, you know, like, and Patrick's always charming enough to make it up to them, you know, but like, no, he's being a dick and he's showing to you that he's a bad person. Yeah. I mean, there's part of what's so fascinating about it is that he's so clear. They're both so clear, Patrick and Louis, uh, Patrick and uh, his wife are so clear that they don't respect their guests. They don't care. They're like basically telling them we are bad people and we're here to make you suffer. And you have to really put yourself, you have to tie yourself in knots to, uh, to let that slide. But Bjorn does it until it's the end and it's too late. You know, yeah. And, yeah. and then he can't undo the damage. And it's like, it's so horrifying, but it's really effective. So like, obviously I would recommend, um, yeah, big, big recommendations for both guys, barbarian and speak no evil Meredith. I'm assuming you're the same boat. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You mean because I you was the one that made me. you watch that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, not to assume anything, but I think no, I no, recommend no. this. Big sky high recommendations on both. I am a huge fan and it's just, it was, I feel like both of them surprised me in really upsetting, but fun ways. I can't <laughs> explain the sense of dread when you're watching Speak No Evil. It's just like, man, like the way that tension builds and in Barbarian, too, you know, like both of these films really effectively build tension in surprising ways. And I I really appreciate that. And I applaud them for that. Yeah. How about that? I mean, I after after a long time of really finding pleasure and appreciating movies for working within structure and within like beats that, you know, to effectively working with the formula, it's, it was really fun to see a couple of movies that don't feel that, like, don't feel like they're playing by those rules. Exactly. And I hope it keeps happening. You know, like I've been predicting the bursting of the Marvel bubble for so long, but like, it's so exciting whenever we see, you know, non-IP stories like this that are really original and it's not just horror you guys like I know that's sort of our bag but there's a lot of really exciting storytellers out there and I'm hoping they'll get a, a chance to emerge in this way um because yeah I was like it's so nice when you get you can watch I'm sorry to say it's so nice <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's such a great experience when you're watching something you're like I've never seen something like this before you know like Neat. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, peachy keen. Yeah, I wish that would happen more and not see like 
um, the millionth Marvel film where the third act is just a, a bunch of CGI that doesn't look that great. Yeah. But listen, well, I feel like we're moving in that direction. It feels like, um, yeah, both of these films are getting a lot of good uh, word of mouth buzz, which is a positive thing. I know Barbarian didn't do great at the, po- the box office, but it's a weird time. It's a weird time for any film to come out. But if you haven't seen it yet, yes, see it. Go see it. And yes, also... Let us know if you do see these, like one of these movies or both of these movies and uh, tell us what you think, because wow. <laughs> yeah, I really want to hear what you guys think. Hashtag Light Trees and Pod. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Follow Meredith at Meredith L. Clark. Follow me at Allison Kilkenny. If you're a fan of the show, go to lighttreason.news and smash that donate button. Or guess what? I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. It's just my name. Uh, for as little as $5 a month, you can sign up over there and send us any questions, comments, recommendations. We love a good rec. Anything like that. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And while you're at it, get out there and cause a little trouble. <laughs>